Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So is this the first time you've tried to actually do this show with someone uh, not in the office? Yeah, you're my first remote co-host, Jen. Oh, wow. This is really exciting then. Okay. Jen Gerson of the National Post is with me from her house in Calgary, Alberta. Hey, Jen. Hi. <laughs> Let me get <laughs> That's terrible. That's that's. No, let's not do that. <laughs> no, let's not do that. All right. How you doing, Jen? Uh, you know, it's a little cold out here, but I'm surviving. Welcome back to Shortcuts. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Allison McNeely, John Totcher, Jason Fidalgo, Nathan Whitlock, Alex, John Hazlitt, Susan M. Delacorte, Hamish Buchan, Tanara, and Terry K. Bursey. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of of 
organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Jen, we're recording this on Wednesday. People are hearing this on Thursday or later. And uh, and, and, and this morning, Wednesday morning, some uh, awful things happened in Paris. Yeah, it's pretty grim news to wake up to, absolutely. Terror in Paris. But of course, this particular office, Charlie Hebdo, has been targeted and threatened in the past because of the controversial nature of the cartoons it's published. Now, the magazine makes its, uh, its hay off the idea that uh, it's going to be more extreme, more radical, more daring than anybody else. There's the cover of the magazine. This is a satire of someone who is obviously about to get their head cut off, right? The person who's the victim is supposed to be Muhammad. He's saying, wait, I'm the prophet, you idiot. Um, you know, these are meant to be provocative cartoons. Uh, this is the point. And people then get provoked by it. Uh, so there you have some people on the news uh, sort of straining to describe uh, offensive cartoons. I think you just got to show them. Uh, yeah. When you're talking about Charlie Hebdo, uh, this this uh, satirical French newspaper, and uh, the whole history they had of pro- provocation and, and the tension between them and Islamic fascists, you kind of have to see the cartoons, you know? Uh, it's, it's, it's newsworthy because this happened, because this atrocious thing happened. Um, there's no way, and, and I, I've just been kind of like baffled looking at the Toronto Star and the Globe, and I think the Post too, Jen, running explainers next to their coverage saying, you know, what is Charlie Hebdo? And you you click onto it and there's like none of the actual relevant images are included in, in the rundown. I mean, it's, it's a little early to be you know, condemning any particular news organization for being too cowardly to run the pictures at this point. Um, but yeah, I think suffice it to say, if you and I were running some of these papers, this wouldn't be a debate. I, I don't see this as being a debate. It's not a legitimate debate. Uh, these images are newsworthy. Um, you need, I agree with you 100%. You need to see them to understand the controversy, to understand the why of what happened here. And um, the only reason not to run them is because you're either afraid that violence will be inflicted upon you and your own organization or because you are, are, are afraid of the potential knock-on consequences of inflaming um, uh, hatred or protests similar to what happened during the last cartoon controversy. Those are the only really two reasons why you wouldn't do it. Um, and both of those reasons are kind of bad uh, for deeply philosophic and important reasons. They're, 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 bad, they're bad rationales. Yeah, I got the rationale uh, leaked to me of why the CBC is not uh, showing any of the images. And uh, this is from their head of journalistic standards and practices, David Studer. He says, uh, this is a note to all the journalists uh, as the news was breaking. We won't be showing uh, cartoons making fun of the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, Other elements of Charlie Hebdo's content and style are fine, but this area should be avoided as quite simply, it's offensive to Muslims as a group. Um, so that was the rationale given there, is it because those are offensive? Um, look, I mean, there's there's obviously a conversation to be had about uh, 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 material that can be classified as um, hate material or stuff that's inciting people to violence against an identifiable group. You know, that's that's there, there's a fair conversation to be had about that. But um, simply not not running something because it's offensive to an identifiable group is absurd. Uh, that's, well, it's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's not defensible. That's not a defensible rationale. 
But it's what offends me is that that's not actually their rationale. Like it's it's bullshit, right? Like somebody was quick to point out, like, come on, like uh, CBC's people, know, you know. Uh, combing through the archives and finding instances where they they printed an AP photograph of that piss Christ uh, statue, that piece of art from the controversy way back when. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just obviously not about a fear of offending a particular racial group. It's it's a very, I think, maybe a rational fear of, of being murdered. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely what it is. You're right. 100%. It's totally a bullshit rationale. We all know it's a bullshit rationale. The reason why we're not running these cartoons and the reason why you and I aren't saying offensive things about the Prophet Muhammad is because, well, one, I'm sure we don't want to say offensive things about the Prophet Muhammad. There's no particular desire at this point. But the reason why we wouldn't do it or we're afraid to do it is because we're afraid. We're afraid of the, the potentially violent backlash. There's, there, I mean, we are. <laughs> it's time to come to terms with that fact. Um, we don't want to get murdered. We don't want to get bombed. We don't want to see our colleagues get hurt over a principle. And um, that's a problem because that principle is is fundamental to what we do. Yeah, I mean that that's what's lacking there is. I mean, it would it would be preferable though, you know, for them to just say our commitment to you know our fear of getting murdered is greater than our desire to uh, tell the news. I would kind of respect them more if they did say that. Like if they if they were just honest about that and said, uh, we we just don't want to risk getting petrol bombed like Charlie Hebdo. I mean, that would be honest. Yeah, I mean, like you you need to see the the damn cartoons. And I I didn't really know what Charlie Hebdo was this morning. I very quickly found uh, a big library of the images, and I I knew a bit more about this news story having having read them. I kind of understand it now. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm not condemning anyone. You said it's it's too early to condemn. I mean, I, the the, t- the timing is relevant though because this is when the the world is turning to the news to find out what happened. So I'm not condemning anyone. But I am keeping track. And uh, so here, here's what I found. Um, and and I, I put this out there on Twitter for people to help me out. So the CBC is not running. Uh, and it's not just about like depictions of the Prophet Muhammad. They're not pr- printing any of Charlie Hebdo's very uh, pointed satirical stuff about Islam. The, the, the offensive stuff about Islam is not being run by the CBC. Bizarrely, it is being run by Radio Canada. Okay, so that's what's going on there. Here's who is showing the stuff. Uh, Journal de Montréal, Global Montreal. I don't know if Global Elsewhere is running it, but we found something in Global Montreal, La Presse. So, you know, not surprisingly, in Quebec, they're showing this stuff quite gladly. And in the Globe, it's sort of like yes and no. They're pulling their punches. Like just, I guess, to say that they have shown it, there's like little buried depictions of it, but they're very careful about which ones they show and where they show it. Uh, but I guess they passed the test of will they show it or not. Frank Magazine has uh, dedicated to publish a gallery. They're going to publish all the cartoons. Sun News has been showing this stuff all day. Um, and, and and then I get to like uh, the star. And again, like you've got like features where it's like here is what Charlie Hebdo is and there's and, and the images are, are, are not there. Uh, and in fact, they ran this uh, unrelated image that uh, you know mocks uh, Hulebeck. Like, like it's they're they're carefully dancing around it. And there's even like um, this file photograph that keeps um, popping up of one of the murdered cartoonists defiantly holding up a cover from Charlie Hebdo, and they crop out the cover. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen that in in uh, a few different news organizations so far. So um, look, if you're if you're if you're running that photo and you're cropping out that photo, let's just be straight up. You're chicken shit. I'm not a manager. I don't have to make these types of really hard decisions about whether or not it's worthwhile to put my staff's life on the line for these sorts of um, this, uh, higher moral principles. I don't have to make that decision. And gee, I'm awfully lucky that I don't. But um, I like to think that if I were in charge. I wouldn't be chicken shit. 
Yeah, and and uh, like I I have to say, like somebody also tweeted, you know, uh, as the solidarity messages uh, were going around Twitter, um, Tanara Yellen, who used to work with me on the show, tweeted like, do I have to uh, claim allegiance or pledge allegiance to an Islamophobic publication? Um, and I think the answer is yeah. Like you do. I mean, and and, and I, I'll tell you, look, looking at those cartoons, there's some that I thought were really funny. There were some that were really juvenile. There's uh, some good cartooning there. The, like the Europeans, whatever you want to say, like, and I'm not really into like French sense of humor, but they can draw cartoons, man. And, you know, a lot of it kind of like evoked early Sergio Aragones Mad Magazine stuff. Um, but the stuff that bugged me was not the uh, blasphemy. It was it was the racialized depictions. Like I, I, I feel like there's a strain of um, racialized caricature in what they do, not just to Muslims, but to Jews. And I feel like for all of Charlie Hebdo's like, hey, we take on Christians, Jews, Muslims equally. Like, you know who they don't take on? Uh, As far as I can see, uh, just from my brief exposure to them today, uh, like there's a certain fascism to white, atheistic, European uh, like like anti-religious types, uh, and there's, a, sure. there's there's racism in that culture that is that, that that I think needs to be satirized as well. But I don't give a damn. No, I don't care. Yeah, that's the problem. Like like oh, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I agree with you. There are certain things that were in some of those cartoons that I probably would have said um, was just kind of over the line or not really fair or or or, or I mean I would have they would have offended my Canadian sensibilities absolutely. Um, but I I just don't. Yeah, I just don't give a shit. I, you know, yeah, they, they offended you. Okay. Yeah. I don't care. So what? No, I, I don't care that they offended you. I just don't. <laughs> like, yeah. We have to get over, get over this idea that offending people is is some grave moral or mortals in this case sin. It's it's not. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're drawing a very important distinction, which is that, that there's the realm of civic discourse, uh, of of civil discourse about like are these cartoons appropriate? Were they should should they have been printed just by from a racist you know an anti racist point of view humanitarian? Uh, but then this, there's there's a strain of like they were asking for it. You know they yep. like they were you know like you, you mess with the bull you get the horns. Like absolutely not. This isn't there. There is no cartoon you can publish i mean to even have to say this stuff and, you know, oh, I, I actually can't believe that we're actually even having to say this stuff to be honest <laughs> with you like i really really pray that that doesn't become the debate like well charlie hebdo published some racist cartoons so therefore you know like for the love of god let's not let that debate happen like like that's that's idiotic that debate has been happening the bravery of actually running that stuff is one thing but let's actually look at the bravery of the cartoonist to charlie hebdo because the, in 2006, a French president, Jacques Chirac, asked media organizations to avoid provocation of Muslims. They printed the Danish Muslim cartoons. Uh, in, in 2012, the prime minister, uh, Jean-Marc Ayrault, I'm, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, uh, he called for restraint from the media when Charlie Hebdo published more cartoons representing Muhammad. Uh, they, they went and they published this uh, Sharia Hebdo uh, issue and they were firebombed. Okay, they came to work to draw cartoons after their office was firebombed. Pretty badass. And I've seen the photos of these these guys who were murdered at their drawing tables at their computers. They are pasty dudes. They are malnourished. They are cartoonists. They died drawing cartoons. They are my people. So yeah, I pledge uh, allegiance to like, Je suis Charlie. I stand with Charlie Hebdo, and and I, I will reprint those. And I and the only answer to this is to reprint those images, reprint them, and reprint them. You can't kill us all. I feel like we have to at least mention it because today Gameshi's back in court. Earlier in the week, uh, two CBC executives uh, were placed on leave. I don't like to do uh, short 
shortcut takes on things before they actually happen. But of course, the news is going to be flooded with Gameshi today. Jen, are you, are you are you sick of this? No. You want to hear more? Yeah. And I think that the story is definitely veering a little bit away towards Gian himself and more towards what's happening in the CBC. Yeah, but it's also a courtroom story now. And I think we're going to find it today that more charges have been laid. Um, I don't really like, you know, people have asked me, are you going to be there in the courtroom in that in that like unholy mob? I've never seen like a mob of reporters like that in Canada ever before. The answer is no. I think it's covered. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you need to be there. Um, unless you want to rent a helicopter, apparently that's popular now. Yeah. Sean here had the idea of just getting more unnecessary, you know, in, in these days when we're so flush with money and journalism, sending helicopters to cover people exiting courthouses, why don't we just do that, you know, for, for other insignificant committee meetings in parliament? Let's have a helicopter. Um, I don't mean to be glib. I think you're right, Jen. I think that the, the focus needs to remain on the CBC. I'm not sure it's there. I think that it was very clear to me watching the Fifth Estate documentary that whether Chris Boyce drew the short straw and was throwing himself under the bus or whether he's being set up, he's the the guy that at least they want to be the fall guy. I'm not convinced that it ends there. So I'm continuing to ask questions uh, above and below his pay grade. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Oil sliding below the psychological $50 level, and that sent the TSX tumbling. Oil volatility has remained elevated, while regular S&P 500 volatility, just the simple VIX, has actually kind of gone back and forth. We're looking at the graph right now. We're at around 3%. You say this line could well undershoot, or I keep dropping, overshooting, in other words. Uh, you could build an argument that mean reversion relative to the CPI relative to natural gas prices, that oil... Uh, could ultimately get towards the 40s. At an astonishing 69 cents a litre, drivers in Edmonton enjoy the lowest gas prices in the country. We're going to see Alberta slide down the ladder, and meanwhile, BC and Ontario will probably be battling it out for the growth leadership over the next year in, in Canada. What are they talking about? <laughs> Stuff. Help me. So... The price of crude's fallen through the floor and everyone's losing their shit. Like, you, you think this is a permanent state that, like, this is, it's only going to get lower? I don't fucking know. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Sorry, I should swear less. I have no idea. Uh, no one knows. No one, anyone who tells you what they know is going to happen in the oil market uh, is lying to you because no one, no one knows. And if we did, I, I would be making money doing something other than journalism <laughs> because... You know, there's lots of it there. <laughs> I I know that, that that first bunch of clips I played uh, is meant for, you know, it's meant for people who are in finance, who are making decisions on what stocks to buy. So, you know, the fact that I don't understand any of that jargon, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in that world. I, this this story and, and the falling price of oil is getting to the point where I feel like I need to know about it because it's affecting all sorts of things in terms of the Canadian dollar and manufacturing jobs, and, you know. But I, I, when we talk about the media coverage thereof, I either have that, like, wonky financial coverage or I have stuff that sounds like this. Well, I like it because I'm going to Calgary tomorrow. <laughs> I went up and bought a new stereo system, gorgeous new stereo system, Partly in my mind because I said, hey, I've got a lot more money in my pocket. Or, or, or the third the third option here, and you're going to got to pull some clips of this. you got to get the sort of the, the, the one with the earth environmental coverage. Coverage of oil uh, tends to be partitioned and divided between two types of coverage. You get that really wonky uh, financial stuff that nobody really understands who isn't in finance. And you get the human stories, the people stories. 
Um, and I, I would classify the environmental stuff as being kind of like their people stories. Their stories about, you know, you see Mitch Potter of the star will walk the, the Keystone XL line and talk to the farmers and the ranchers who are concerned in their path. You get the, um, the, the individual Burtons the, who are yeah. going to say, yeah, I, I got my Ralph Bucks and I went and bought a stereo system. The problem with the way that we partition that coverage is that you, you don't get a very contextual view of, of any of these issues. Like your, your position on Keystone XL is going to be hugely cover, colored by what pages you're reading about it in. Like if you're reading about Keystone XL in the business pages, you know, you're going to think, well, great, Keystone XL, this is this this makes perfect financial sense. This all adds up. All the numbers are, are good. Well, you know, we need to approve it. And this is just a political issue. And if you're only reading the um, the people type coverage of Excel, you're thinking, this is horrific. This is going to affect that really nice rancher down in Nebraska. Well, and, and I would hope some some coverage of the environmental impact. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. And you don't see the environmental the environmental stories. Generally, they're not run in, in the business pages. Right. And that's a problem, like because you know if if you're if you're sitting in downtown Calgary and you're trying to make sense of what's going on with Keystone XL, and you're only reading the financial pages, you know you're going to run into some serious issues because you're not going to be able to understand the political or the environmental opposition to these particular issues. Yeah, and, and actually, the, the, whatever scant environmental coverage still exists in Canada, I have to admit, I gla- I glaze over it because these are as news stories. You're talking about consequences that are far away and very dire, and and there's a consistency. Like there's no arc, <laughs> you know. It's just you're fighting this kind of uh, doomsday scenario that it's like you know scientifically there's a lot of uh, there's, there's so much backing behind the fact that we need to be worried about this. But it's this is a consequence that doesn't really fit into the way that we package news. You know, like like what happened today in environmental destruction when you're talking about a gradual process uh, that's taking place over the course of decades. Well, and also the other problem with the way that, that this works is that if you're looking at environmental coverage, the environmental coverage is really good at saying um, this particular project will harm the environment by doing this, this, and this. That's an easy story to do. But that's not the way that decision makers make decisions about projects. Decision makers make decisions about projects by saying, what are the environmental consequences and risks? And then they balance that against the potential human consequences of risks. And they balance that against the potential um, uh, economic realities uh, that, that are in play, right? So it's like they're taking these, these you know, three different things, the environment, you know, human realities and economics. And they're trying to make a decision based on these three different factors and these weightings of these three different factors. But the way we cover it, we cover it, we, we separate those two things as if they're completely separate and, and um, uh, disconnected ideas. Like when you say, you know, Northern Gateway is a good or a bad thing, you can make arguments for it being good and you can make arguments for it being bad. You know, there isn't any one right answer there. But what the National Energy Board has to do is it's got to weigh the, the potential economic gains of that particular project against the, the environmental risks of that project, which means you've got to bring business and environment and, and people together in one story. And that's what we're actually really bad at doing. Why is this so terrifically dull? I mean, there's no bigger issue in the country. There's nothing more controversial. It has to do with, you know, every tension east and west in this country. Like, it's incredibly consequential on where jobs are. I, I, I can't get a foothold 
on this story so that I actually feel any competence or authority in knowing what's going on on a day-to-day basis. I mean, yeah, you, welcome to my world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not dull. It's hard. That's the problem. It's like, really I mean, hard. Like, and then I feel like I don't trust either side because I feel like when I'm reading stuff that is from a left or environmentalist point of view, I, I, I always find myself asking, well, what is, what is the right way of going about this? Or what is the green solution? Like, is it about shutting down the, the oil sands? And like, like, is that even a feasible, uh, like I, that doesn't make sense to me either and I, and I, I accept this, the hypocrisy of living in a society where I drive a car and beyond that the entire society just runs on, on gas and isn't it I'm, I'm kind of secretly really happy that we have so much of it that our economy is protected <laughs> by it but I, I'm, I'm also like xenophobically scared of all the power moving to your province and like all of it is is it should be a lot more fascinating and I, I should have uh, I, I know I have a dog in this fight but I can't figure out which one it is and I don't follow this day in day out I, I don't know what the journalistic solution is or if anyone's looking for one I mean it seems like on both sides, there's more of an interest in banging a certain drum than there is in engaging readers. Yeah. And that's because it's easier to bang the drum than it is to explain what the fuck is going on. Um, generally speaking, I mean, you want me to sex up Keystone XL for you? I can sex up Keystone XL for you. Do it, uh, do it quickly. Give it to me. Give it to me. Okay. Keystone XL is interesting because it's basically a microcosm of every single major debate that's happening right now in North America. I mean, Preach. you want to talk, you want to talk, um, a Republican, Democrat, uh, inter-Nicene warfare. Yeah, Keystone XL. You want to talk the, about the, um, the lame duckness of the Obama presidency? Keystone XL. You want to talk about Harper and his environmental policies? You can make that about Keystone XL. You want to talk about um, uh, North American energy independence and the Middle East? Hell, that you can all make that about Keystone XL ultimately. However, the problem with Keystone XL is that its actual importance to the oil patch and to the environment is absolutely nominal compared to the amount of coverage it gets. Keystone XL is the Kim Kardashian of public policy. <laughs> it's actually like, it's a huge symbol for a lot of, of what you're talking about. It's a massive symbol for an enormous amount of anxiety about the way we live our lives and how we consume energy today. But as a project in and of itself, it's not really that big a deal. So why is why is it getting so much attention? Does it have a big fat ass? Uh, it does have a big fat ass. Uh, <laughs> and there's lots of oil involved. Because um, the paper, the thing, haha, womp womp. Oh, right, right. Because on the paper, she was all oiled up. I'm sorry. It's, it's not you. It's me. It's fine. Um, why this particular project got so much attention is because environmentalists like Bill McKibben uh, consciously chose it to saw that it was a politically vulnerable target and they made it into an issue essentially very successfully huge huge successfully it's been a it's a pr coup um the ability to do this but the thing to keep in mind is that if if keystone xl gets vetoed and and completely knocked off tomorrow um you know the oil stands are going to continue to chug you know it's not actually going to make a huge difference to greenhouse gas emissions you know, it's it's so not. So you're telling me that the reason why Keystone has become the center uh, star of this whole debate is because it's it's a it's a fight that environmentalists thought that they could win. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, abs- absolutely. Yeah, you get rid of Keystone XL, maybe the 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 actual greenhouse gas emissions are negligible, but it gives you a huge psychological victory that you can actually do something. Well, what I don't I don't know what what the, the longer term game strategy is here. Okay, so you shut down Keystone XL. There are there are right now there are seventy oil and gas pipelines that cross just the ones that cross the border between the U.S. and Canada. Thirty one of them are crude. 
Okay. Uh-huh. There's nothing unique or special about Keystone XL. It's a it's a major trunk line. It, but it's the second trunk line in the Keystone system. The first of which has been operating since 2010. I mean, it's 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 just one pipeline. It's not the be all and end all of anything else. It's not even really, let's be honest, that important to the oil and gas sector. <laughs> Thank you for explaining things. It's all the environmentalists' fault. I can't wait for the mail. Oh come on now! I wasn't that bad. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not being that like that Alberta here. I'm being pretty pretty good. That's Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Jen, where can people find you? You can send me all sorts of mean things. I always get the mean things on Twitter. Jen Gerson, just J-E-N-G-E-R-S-O-N on Twitter. And I'm Jesse Brown on Twitter. The website is canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Uh, live taping in Hamilton Friday night. Come to the website or check my Twitter feed for details on where to get tickets. They're going fast. I produce this show with Andrew Norton. Next episode of Canada Land is up on Monday. If you like this show, support it. Teeny tiny cuts.